What's going on, everybody? I'm Johnny Brooke. Welcome back to episode number 27 of the Crafted Podcast. Podcast all about making stuff by hand, woodworking, metalworking, electronics, leather, and more. We put out new episodes every Wednesday on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, pretty much everywhere podcasts are available. We also live stream the show every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. If you want to check out the live stream, you can hit up our website. It's craftedpodcast.com or also download our free app on iOS or Android. Just search for Crafted Podcast there and it'll come right up. Uh, if you want to support us a little further, check us out on Patreon. It's a great way to kind of support the show, get some kind of behind-the-scenes perks, and uh, just, you know, help us out. So our top patron of the week, as always, is Make, Build, Modify. So thank you so much to all of our patrons. Uh, we really, really appreciate the support. So let me introduce my co-hosts as always. I've got James Wright from Wood by Wright. What's going on, James? Oh, not that much. I'm just sitting here waiting for... <laughs> All of you listening. <laughs> and I've got Zach Herbrolls from ZH Fabrications. What is going on, Zach? Oh, it helps if I hit the unmute button. <laughs> there you go. There you I go. had my mic turned off because, believe it or not, I'm still eating chicken from last week's episode. I, I believe it because... Which, uh, which we recorded an hour ago. Oh, I so. still believe it because you're, as we mentioned on an <laughs> earlier podcast, the world's slowest eater. So uh, Yeah. That's Even good. if it's we didn't COVID last week, it, you'd still be eating yeah. it, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. it's true. It's true. Literally but a week later. One thing, like once chicken gets cold, it's terrible. Oh, yeah. It, it becomes it's just rubberized. like it gets like hard and rubbery. Yes. And especially chicken. And it really sucks being a slow eater because yeah. half of my <laughs> chicken is always cold. Yeah. Like I can deal with a like a room temp, like a rotisserie chicken, you know, like a chicken leg or something of that nature, drumstick. But chicken breast, oh, just terrible at uh, anything below hot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a good, good tangent there. Thank you, Zach. <laughs> I do that. <laughs> you do that very My effectively. Job. Very effectively. All right. So I guess we're speaking I, from I, the f- – Speaking from the future a little bit with uh, what we're working on since we're recording uh, a week ahead, but uh, I think we can do this. So, uh, James, it looks like you're very prepared for this. I am not working on the dresser when this comes out. Oh, snap. Yeah, I know. I know. By the time (laughs) this this comes out, I will have had all of the videos released on the dresser, and I am no longer working on it. A year and a half's worth of work completed. That is insane man i uh that is insane i'm excited to actually see it in the future <laughs> that's gonna be uh it's gonna be cool it's gonna be a cool moment this is like this is like a uh, this podcast is like a time capsule because we have <laughs> two weeks to no, do we no want my put, luck what, something what? will happen in the last coat and i'll be like working out for another three or four weeks yeah, so when this actually comes out i'll still have five, four more videos on it yeah. no no way <laughs> yeah Oh, what man. should we put in this podcast to to tell our future selves and listeners? <laughs> in, enjoy your vacation. Up? That's that's why we're doing the double podcast. Is I'm going to be on vacation next week, or I guess the week. Before, I don't even know. Whatever the week you're listening to this, I'm on vacation. So um, that that's why we're doing this. So I will tell my future self, enjoy your vacation. You, uh, I'm so you deserve so it. jealous that you get to like go through my native land you're, you're that i miss so dearly yeah i'm i'm pretty pumped up about it it's gonna be an awesome trip going out to flying into seattle and then driving down uh, south of portland to the willamette valley doing a little wine touring also gonna go hang out with uh, jd from rainfall projects while i'm there which is really cool he has a huge like a actual working farm there um but uh, check out his shop cruise around on some atvs and check out his his spread there and uh meet his dog drake and that'll be a lot of fun and then uh, spend a couple days in portland also going to go out to the coast there to tillamook and so it's gonna be a great trip i'm, I'm pretty excited uh, it's uh been a while since i've had a vacation this you know it's my quitting my day job my favorite part of the country busy. out there man yeah I it's gorgeous should have never left it <laughs> never left yeah, it's it's a beautiful beautiful area. I've really only spent a couple of days in Portland ever, so I'm excited to to kind of tour around and have a car and you know be able to go pretty much wherever we want, and uh, that'll be that'll be pretty sweet. So that will be that'll be cool. So yeah, so I'm working on nothing because I'm on vacation. So how about you guys? 
Zach, what you got? I predict, since this is two weeks from now, <laughs> I predict I will finally be building the four chairs. Nice. That's my prediction. And hopefully, before that, hopefully I will have built a, a plasma cutting table by then. Mm. My what? plan is to build a plasma cutting table and then start the chairs so that I can use it on the chairs. That would be the logical order to do that in. So, What is that going to look like? Um, hopefully like a plasma cutting table. <laughs> <laughs> I have no frame of reference for what that even is, I don't think. So, I mean, there's a lot of different designs, but the idea that I like, I've seen some that have like removable, because um, obviously you're using a plasma cutter over something. It needs to be steel, but since it's a plasma cutter, it cuts steel. So yeah, I like the idea of having a removable, um, kind of like a grill, except for I think what I'm going to do is use one inch flat stock and on its side so that it's oriented um, vertically. And uh, I'm going to have those. I'll probably build the frame out of like, I don't know, some sort of square tubing. And I think I haven't checked, but I'll have to check the curve on my cold saw. Hopefully it's an eighth of an inch or a little bit bigger. Because if it is, I'm going to use that. And then I'm going to use, I'm going to cut curves into the, the square tubing. And then uh, if I can use one eighth inch angle iron, I'll be able to set it down into the square tubing so that once I use it a whole bunch, if I need to replace the surface to cut on i can just pull out the one inch flat stock and just drop a new one in there nice so i don't know if anybody can visualize what i just said or not i think but, vaguely uh, i think that yeah kind of makes sense it's almost like so it's, using it's kind of like a grill with re- replaceable yeah. um slats in it is, is the idea yeah just basically so. make it so you don't cut through the table a million times so yeah well you will cut through the table a million times but when you cut through it a million times you'll be able to pop one out and drop yeah. a new one in yeah yeah <clears throat> nice so hopefully i'll have that done cool yeah that'll be uh that'll be exciting I, I guess before i'm going on vacation i am gonna really dig into these arts and crafts dining chairs and then also the build i'm gonna be putting out is a scrap wood end table so uh, that'll be kind of cool I, I saw this I think actually Instructables themselves produced a video on it a while ago. I think it's been a couple of years, um, but it's a cool concept. It's basically like imagine taking like scrap wood, like long grain cutting boards and gluing them together and kind of having them at different lengths on the bottom side and at, you know, set lengths on the top. And that will make up a solid end table. So a few of the scraps will be long enough to do the legs. And then kind of the underside of the table will be all kinds of different random lengths of these scraps. And then the top will be essentially an ingrain cutting board. Um, so it should be cool. I, I have this huge pile of scraps that are still left from that original pile I bought to build those ingrain cutting boards. And uh, just seems like a pretty good, simple, yet uh, cool build. I really need uh, a good end table for my for my den there we don't really have one in for one of our couches so so yeah that'll be that'll be a fun one so excited to knock that out so uh yeah uh, i guess let's go ahead and move into the show topic we're going to talk about design again which you know it's pretty broad topic uh, i think we could go on forever uh, about design <laughs> but i think we want to talk about kind of coming up with our own design style and and kind of how to do that and um especially with different types of uh, styles in general you know because uh, james and i were talking before the show and uh you know depending on what your style kind of leans towards it can be really hard to to kind of differentiate yourself you know we were talking about like mid-century modern for example if you like mid-century modern furniture it's going to be pretty tough to make your stuff unique from other mid-century modern pieces because you know kind of that whole style is really clean designs uh, pretty basic uh, kind of shapes and yeah it's kind of hard to do Um, although one really good example of that in my opinion is uh, jory brigham Uh, he is a furniture maker out in california and he's in that kind of mid-century modern realm 
but he has totally off the wall shapes he does a lot of like cove cutting for his uh, drawer fronts and things like that so there's a lot of really undulating organic shapes and uh you know those kind of techniques i think can really uh, make a piece your own i mean look at you know sam maloof for example i mean he obviously is to me one of the most iconic furniture designers out there and uh you know if you strip down his pieces they're pretty basic you know modern chairs uh, but he adds so many components that are really his own uh, that, that mm-hmm. it's become his own thing so I think that really is kind of key to making a design yours is finding rather than, you know, we're always looking for the whole design being something that's unique. And most of the time it's just one particular element or one addition, whether it's a, you know, a cove cut in the the front of a a modern furniture or um, like recently I've become known for, you know, Celtic weave nodding on everything. Yeah. Um, And I really kind of, I try and do it in a simple and different way. I don't want to go into heavy detail in it. Um, but I mean, just finding like in Maloof, uh, you know, there's the Maloof joint. It's, it's that one thing that he did that no one else did, even though the chairs are still, you know, chairs, they're the, the same rails and styles and seat, but yeah. the way they're connected made all the difference. Yeah. Um, and, and finding that one, that one niche of a piece that you can change can often make the the world of difference. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be one of the hardest things I think as a creator, uh, because you know, it's, it's so easy to be super derivative of other people, even if you're not doing it on purpose, you know, I mean, just, uh, the world we live in, we're constantly surrounded by a ton of inspiration and influence. So, you know, just watching YouTube and read magazines and, you know, even walking through Ikea, you know, it's uh, it's hard not to be heavily inspired to the point that it's basically just copying. Um, so I, I have, uh, you know, that, that's something I really want to try to move around, you know, move away from. A lot of the pieces I build are, are pretty much, you know, I'm trying to replicate a piece I saw that I thought was really cool. And uh, I think that's where, you know, you start and then you kind of slowly incorporate uh, your own stuff as time goes on. So... What about you, Zach? Yeah, de- designs, like, this is, like, my favorite. And I think this is, it's becoming, or maybe it already is, it's my kind of my favorite aspect. And not solely the design. I mean, I would I would never want to design stuff and have somebody else make it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I love making it, but I think it's the combination. It's the, it's the um, like you said, I feel like it's a... Uh, it's a, it's a, like a ne- the, the next step in a progression, not saying that like you're better if you're designing or anything, but it's, I feel like once you start building stuff, you get that reward of like, wow, I built the table and I can set things on it. It functions as a table or like, wow, I built this piece that I really like and it looks just like it. I, I think that's fantastic. And you get that, you get that feeling, that reward from doing it. But when you start getting to the point to where, for me, I, I really like the challenge of like, how can I do this different? <clears throat> like, how can I make this interesting in a, in a new way? Um, that's exciting to me. And then doing it and pulling it off and then seeing it. It's just, I feel like it's so much bigger. It's so much more of a reward to look at it and have something that's unique that um, came out of your head and then you built it. It's just it's just so it's like a drug it's just so satisfying you just want to keep designing and keep building and keep pushing yourself and keep coming up with uh you know new different ways to do things yeah yeah especially when people like it (laughs) that makes it uh, all all the easier you know when you when you come up with an original idea and people really really dig it that's uh that is very very inspiring so um, but, you know, coming up with those original designs is really difficult. And I think, especially with what we're doing, you know, I, I think the best way to come up with an original design is pretty much like iterative building, you know, building a version, yeah. building it again, changing something slightly and continuing to do that until it really becomes your own. And obviously that's not a luxury that any of us have. Um, it would be pretty boring to see <laughs> the same piece being built over and over again and being slightly changed so 
Um, I, I think that is, I think that makes this a lot more difficult. Um, and the other thing is, yeah, that I think, we just, oh yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say along that line of iterative construction, um, even if you like take a project and draw it out over time, because one of the things I've noticed with the dresser is from a year ago, my design and aesthetics have changed completely. And the dresser looks completely different from what I was expecting it to look a year ago. And yep. there are things that I put into it that a year ago I wouldn't have even thought about. Yeah. Um, and, and, and allowing that project to slow, slowly morph in my mind has really helped me in, in figuring out where my design can fit. And you know where you're taking something too far, and where you're you're giving it just enough room to breathe. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I feel like that even for like the stuff that I do, like the client work, like I'll get the important stuff down, like the measurements and the dimensions and yeah. whatever has to, whatever is set, whatever can't be changed. And I'll get the aesthetics to a point where I'm like, that looks pretty good. But they change, like, I'd say at least 20% every time. Like, when I start working with the material and it's in my hand and I can mock it up and I can take a step back and look at it and play with the angle and be like, no, I think it looks better like that. Or, you know what, this lower beam in person would look better if I moved the center of the arc over here instead of back here. And just, like, little, all these little tiny, yeah. tiny subtle things that... Uh, change in the process of doing it um, in it everything that everything that I've built looks way better in person than it did in the sketchup model yeah. in the design it's oh, just yeah. I mean not that the sketchup models looked bad but I mean like the soul you know it's it's like a, yeah. yeah it's like a, a terrible overproduced album versus like an awesome live show there's just like this X factor that happens uh, you know that you just yeah. you can't you can't capture it all. Um. Well, like for instance, with the with the dresser, um, I was originally planning on it being a very strict mission arts and crafts style, um, and so that's why it has a, a all through tenons and open fronts. And um, I was going to have corbels on the side. They're the little supporting doohickey that goes yeah. underneath the top on the sides of the legs. <clears throat> very common in mission arts and crafts style. And they're almost always like a drawn out OG shape. And I originally I had that in my, my drawing in mind to put on there. But when I got to the end, everything on this is fairly geometric. Um, I put a bevel underneath that's at a, a, a standard angle. All of the dovetails showing have angles on them. And just putting in this curved OG corbel just wasn't going to fit. And I just had this random idea of what if I just made it a little triangle wedge as opposed to an OG. And I mocked up a quick piece and put it on there. It was just like a, this sudden epiphany moment where it's like, that is exactly what I want. And if I had done something from the design or my original, uh, you know, it just, it wouldn't quite fit. It'd be one of those things that stands out just like, there's something wrong there but that is one of those epiphany moments that i wouldn't have had if i if i didn't allow it to have that time to fester and grow in me <laughs> yeah. yeah it's uh it's interesting I'm, I'm definitely a kind of nail down everything before i get into the shop uh, but there are always those things that change i mean you know for for me a lot of it comes from errors you know it's uh figuring out how yes. to incorporate those errors, uh, which actually works, you know, in my favor a lot of times, you know, some, some of the most interesting design elements of, as we talked about in the past have, you know, come from making mistakes. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very, I think on the different side where I'm pretty much like whatever's in SketchUp, I'm building like an exact replica of that for the most part, because I'm, you know, like I have the cut list printed out and I, I you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty dialed in so um yeah that's just a uh, kind of different ways to do that and i think uh i think there's pros and cons to both i, I have a really hard time just kind of working you know kind of shooting from the hip uh so to speak in the shop and trying to uh, you know make adjustments on the fly if a board didn't end up quite as wide or you know had a huge knot or something that i'm having to try to work around um so i, I see know. i feel like that's that's like my specialty yeah <laughs> Is, is like figuring out how to hack 
successfully in the shop, like how to <laughs> hack things together and make make things work. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I don't know. It, it's it's tough. I, I definitely rely heavily on the cut lists and that type of thing because you know a lot of times I'm working with pretty expensive hardwood, so I'm trying to get the absolute most out of them and you know reduce my my waste as much as humanly possible. Uh, but uh, again, with hardwoods, that can be kind of tough to do because you never really know what you're going to get with that rough board. Um, uh, so. And that that's kind of something that I I like to let the wood kind of speak for it because I, I very I, I don't get my wood from a lumber yard. I, I get you know the naughty second grade stuff that you get from a you know local sawyer. Yeah. And I, I like to let the wood kind of speak for itself. Um, and and kind of rather than buying the lumber for the project, I buy the lumber and then create the project from that. And that's kind of a yeah. But I mean, it's, it's a whole mindset thing. I mean, but yours is it's a completely different way of doing it. Not that one's any yeah better. It's just that it's you've got to find that way that you hit your own groove. Yeah, yeah. So. How did you guys land on your design styles that, that you've kind of, you know, been more drawn to? I mean, I guess. I haven't and, landed. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, <laughs> the dresser is like your your build, you know, like that's I, I'm basing like your design style on that piece. But obviously, you know, that's maybe not well, representative. On that, I have a design that I'm shooting for. I really like the medieval um, Celtic style. Um, I, I want to work a lot more with hewn white oak and have the flow of the wood in the piece. Um, like the idea of if you if you split white oak, uh, we think of you know splitting firewood and you get these triangular shapes. But if you split white oak with the Medallia rails rays, um, they are kind of like bent triangles as opposed to. Um, triangles, if you, if that makes any sense, um, and I love the idea of incorporating that shape into the furniture, and so I think that's one of the next things I want to do is is that that natural incorporation of the curves from nature as well as the you know um, geometric shapes that you get with with woodworking and finding a way to make those two balance together. Um, and, and then on top of that, you know, the the, the Celtic and uh, medieval carving is just like totaling enthralling to me, and and finding ways of pulling these together. So I guess I have all of these ideas that I want to aim for, but nothing concrete. I'm just kind of I have things like that that I'm very drawn to, and when I get the chance to pull that idea into this project and play with it, and kind of actually create a concrete look as opposed to it just being an ethereal idea. Yeah. That, that's kind of the way I'm going. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's the way it should be, though. I feel like it's not... Um, it's it's not something that you have to, like, commit to. It's not like, I like Victorian-style stuff. That's all I build. Oh, like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I... And, or Unless whatever it like. is. Um, yeah. yeah. Or arts and crafts or, or whatever, like... For, it's a it's a fluid thing like you said like your tastes evolved over the, i mean a year's a long time but still like your taste evolved um yeah, when i first started over that dresser, i mean i wouldn't have done celtic carving it wasn't even something i thought of yeah i mean and that's in and, and a lot of the times i find that like a new skill drives a whole new influence like i oh, learned yeah. to appreciate like stuff that i didn't until i developed the skill um i'm trying to think of something uh like <laughs> like leather working not that i'm good at it but like i did a little bit in the the anvil video and then now now i have like after i've tried it and i have a better understanding of it like i have an appreciation for it to whereas like you know three years ago i see like some 60 year old guy who has like a hand tooled leather belt with rhinestones that says tom on it like i'd laugh and be like that's ridiculous but, but, you know, but now it's like, oh, it's, I mean, I wouldn't wear one, but I can appreciate it now. It's, you know, there's, there's a, you, you develop an appreciation for things. And I feel like just design in general, it's, you evolve, you develop skills. And, um, I think that takes it back to your earlier point of, you know, design kind of being the culmination of the skill in that you, you really can't design something until you know what you're working with. 
and until you know the skills that are available to you. Yeah. Um, and so, you I mean, you, I, for instance, with the leatherworking, I mean, you'd never put leatherworking in your projects until you understood the skill. Yeah. But now that you have that skill in your belt, you can see places where that can come into your your projects. Yeah, where it might fit or it might augment something that yeah. I'm working on. Uh, yeah, I mean, but the way I look at it is, so I mean, that you can learn a lot from. It's like the means or the ends. I mean, you can look at design as like uh, like schoolwork if you want, and that's no fun. Like the history of you know and have the trying to trying to learn it from front to back. But when you actually have like an inherent interest in it, you don't read it for the at least I don't read it for like the history of it. I I, I just think it's there's certain facets. It's like something that I can pick and choose from it. I can look at like the the Victorian era and I might pick something that I like from that. And I might look at the arts and crafts movement, or I might look at the distill movement in Germany or, or whatever and pick these certain elements. And I'm like, I, I think 75% of that's hideous, but I like these things that, that they did. And you sort of get like this, um, uh, this weird conglomeration of different yeah. elements from different things. And I think what's interesting about it is to look at a movement, even if you're not interested in it and be like, what is it? Like, why, why do all of these couches look like arts and crafts or why do all of these bookshelves look like arts and crafts bookshelves? Why do all of these chairs and tables look like they're mid-century modern? Yep. Uh, what colors comprise the, you know, the Justile movement or whatever? Like, and when you can really observe that, when you can stand back and be like, okay, well, cabriole legs represent this, uh, you know, um, red, white, and blue on different planes are the Justile movement. And uh, mid-century modern, like hairpin legs are turned, le you know, these certain things that or commonalities when you can start pulling those out then you can start kind of identifying things and being like well what if i wanted to do like a mid-century piece with like an industrial twist or something like that and then you can think like well what would what would that even look like well it would have these here's a couple of characteristic pieces from this movement and here are a couple of characteristic pieces from this movement let's see how i can work those together and make some crazy hybrid design that I haven't seen yet. I mean, I think for me, it's, it's awesome. It's like Lego for adults. <laughs> it's just like, you get to just put stuff together in weird combinations. It's like chemistry. You can just mix stuff together and hopefully it doesn't blow up. Yeah. But it's just, it's, it's fun. It's exciting. It's my, yeah. it's really my fate. It's like consuming me. It's my favorite part of, of doing this is just, mixing things together and trying to come up with stuff that i haven't seen yet yeah yeah it's also one of the more difficult parts of it though because i think it's really easy to take elements that you like from multiple things and combine them into you know something that really does not work at all yeah um you know it's like uh if you were to try to combine i don't know like a country rustic with victorian with mid-century modern i i don't know that those three would mesh that well, but maybe they would. I mean, it just depends on. There's the, got to be a way, elements. though. Like, yeah, you pull out the small elements from each one, and maybe. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I think know, the that, first thing is like you step back and you say like, okay, what are let's let's make a list of elements that comprise a old country rustic stuff, and then <laughs> you put that on the left, and then like you make another list of things that that seem to you know, comprise the, these other categories. And then you can start thinking like, well, what pieces kind of flow together? I mean, at least that's how I'd kind of go about it. Yeah. I think it, I just think that's a lot of fun and that's, that's where it's the challenge is, is the experimentation. Yeah. then trying to make them work. I mean, there is a way you can start transforming and changing the lines and maybe, maybe it's more subtle. Maybe the, you know, the turned legs or, a little bit different somehow to flow with the other, you know, or whatever. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's really, really fun. I love that process. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's cool. It's, uh, you know, that, that's one of the most exciting things about doing this is just being able to, you know, kind of let things flow as they will. Um, I think one of the hardest things for me is taking client work on a design that I'm not in love with. 
Um, you know, like I'm, I'm building these <laughs> kind of more rustic bathroom vanities and, you know, it's for like a girl's summer camp. So it makes sense, you know, it's like in a cabin, so it makes sense for that atmosphere, but I do not particularly enjoy that style. So, uh, you know, the final piece, uh, you know, it'll be up to my standards, but it's not going to be like the favorite thing I ever built. And I already know that, you know, so, um, that's, that's one of the harder things I think about commission work and, you know, I guess you can get to a point where you can say no to those things, but you know, some of these projects come along that are just so big and, you know, can pay a lot of bills. So kind of hard to turn them down. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, it's, that's, that's one of the downfalls of client work for sure. I think that's, you know, one nice thing about basically just accepting custom furniture that fits within your style, but then you end up turning down quite a few projects. So it's, uh, bit of a double-edged sword there for sure so yeah well what do you guys what else you guys have to add about design i guess we've we've got a couple questions from the audience too that we can chat on i think the last thing i would say is just experiment um you won't know what you really like until you actually see it Mm -hmm. yeah i mean yes you can always envision it and you can play with the ideas and you can you can design on paper and those those will get you a great way to it but until you actually have the chance to you know experiment and play with new things and mashing up those ideas um you don't know what's actually gonna be a reality for you yep and and don't be afraid to mess up and go see it in person if you can that that's another huge thing you know, I think a lot of things look great on Pinterest, and then you go look at them in a store <laughs> yes. or a museum or whatever, and they don't really speak to you in the same way. Um, so that's uh, that's another big thing, I think. You know, there's uh, a lot to be said about the feel of a piece of furniture in in person. So, yeah. Zach, you got any final thoughts? I did, but I totally forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Well, cool. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and move on to the Q and A. We've got a couple of interesting questions here. Um, first, from Felix, he asks, "How many channels are we subscribed to, and how do we find time to watch them all?" So, uh, James, you want to start us off with that? Um, I am currently subscribed to over four hundred YouTube channels. Um, I get notifications from over three hundred of them. Holy and I usually try to, I mean, uh, I'll get notifications for, what, 60 to 80 videos on an average day. On your and phone? And I usually, no, my e- an email. Okay. Well, I mean, I, they show up on my phone. But um, I I look through them and I look for, I mean, number one, there's there's, you know, probably about 20 channels where if they put up a video, I watch them. Um, those are always, and then there's, you know, everyone else who, if there's something that's interesting me, if there's something that kind of sparks my interest, um, then I'll watch it. But usually I end up watching, um, or somewhere around 20 or so a day. Um, but most all of them I watch at two to three times speed, um, I'm, I'm just going through and seeing if there's something that kind of surprises me or catches my attention. Um, and once you start watching videos at a, an increased speed, you can, you can get just as much information as if you watch them at slow speed, but there are still some other ones that I'm like, okay, I want to just absolutely enjoy this video and I'll slow it down. And yeah. So did you sound normal when you listened to yourself on my video? (laughs) (laughs) No, I went, uh, two times that. So (laughs) yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's. For me, um, the the YouTube community is immensely important. I want to be up to date on what's going on, but I also want to be. Um, I, I get eighty to ninety percent of my inspiration from that, so that is that's key for me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm I'm subscribed to I guess two hundred and seventy four channels, so that's that's a lot, a lot more than I would have. Where expected. does it show how many? I put a link in the show notes. Uh, you can click there and, and look at your number. Um, but, yeah, so I, I don't have notifications for, like, 99% of people. I think I have actual notifications for, like, seven people. Um, so I'm I'm very, I think, picky about the people that I want to see every video of. 
and that's who I have the notification set up for. And, and otherwise, I'll just scroll through my feed. Usually, I watch YouTube while I'm drinking my coffee in the morning. I'll spend you know thirty forty minutes watching uh, videos and uh, <laughs> and also on the throne. That's the most ideal YouTube watching place. I think, uh, in, in the house is in the bathroom. So, um, that's, wow. uh, that's where I catch up on a lot of videos. So, um, I'm actually yeah. over 500. Holy moly. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> nuts, man. Yeah. I, I just actually recently went through and weeded out a bunch. Um, you know, if, if I, in my subscription feed, see like five videos on one channel that, you know, like in a row that I can just kind of remember that I have not watched any of their stuff in a while. Um, then I'll just unsubscribe because, you know, channels change and my tastes change and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, it's just it is what it is. So, um, yeah, getting through them. I, I never really watch them at two times speed. I, I actually watch most of my YouTube videos on my TV, which is, I think, probably unique. I'm, I doubt many people do it that way. Um, but I really like to I don't know. I like to experience the video and the pacing as the person intended it to be. So, uh, like, I, I think a lot of the guys that I get notifications for are more of the story kind of aspects. Mm-hmm. So, Chris Salamone and William Walker and, uh, you know, Frank Howarth and, you know, people like that who really pacing is a very big deal to them. So, yeah. Um, Those are the ones I'm usually watching at full speed. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, uh, it's interesting, you know. It's 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 one of those things. I certainly don't see probably eighty percent of the stuff I'm subscribed to. But uh, just like you said, James, this this is. I don't watch the news. I don't read newspaper. Uh, you know, like I, I, this is my news to me because this is my world right now. You know, this is my day job. This is my hobby. Um, this is uh, this is pretty much everything. So um, I'm I'm looking for new advertising sponsors. I'm looking for new project ideas. I mean, there is so much that I'm looking for when I'm watching videos. So, um, it's way beyond just the entertainment value for me. So what about you, Zach? I am subscribed to 144 YouTube channels and I watch none of them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, I watch the occasional one. Uh, there, there's, there's a handful of people that I, um, try and keep up to date on but it's it's not because i don't enjoy watching youtube there's a lot of people that i i mean i really like watching but i feel like mentally it's like overwhelming for me like my my cup is already overflowing and it's really hard for me to watch other people building stuff yeah um and it sounds weird but i just feel like i have my my brain is always like thinking about what i'm doing so much this just it almost hurts for me to watch other people doing other stuff it's <laughs> yeah it, it also but seems I, like I mean, you read to... a lot that that's a i think a big difference between yeah. you and and i for sure i i'm i do not find myself reading in the i do audio books but i never read yeah yeah I, like i bought those mortars intended magazines and i still have not gotten through even the first issue because you know, I'm I'm either in the shop or I'm in front of my computer or I'm lying in bed in the dark. So, yeah, I, I like reading just because I mean it gives me a chance. Like I I can make my I like making my own narratives. Like I I don't watch a whole lot of YouTube's and I think I'm or YouTube channels and I think I'm different because I really don't want to hear anybody talking <laughs> like in the videos. Like I want to make my own. I want to think my own words and and make my own story. Of what's going on and that's why I like uh, books and pictures, especially like illustrated books. I like pictures because I can just see the product, the end product, and that's where my imagination starts coming in. I'm like, well, I wonder how they do those joints. And then for me, like solving, it's almost like a puzzle. When I see a finished product, I can just sit there and be like, well, that's interesting. Like, how did they put that together? I wonder if they used this kind of joint or like what kind of finish did they use? And then I get those questions, and a lot of the times, all get an idea or a technique from trying to figure out how they did it. And it might be completely wrong. They might've done something totally different, but me trying to figure out how I would go about doing it is, uh, uh, I don't know that sometimes inspires me to do stuff and it, it's not overwhelming. I mean, I feel like it's like watching all these people with so many different great ways to do things. Sometimes it's just, it's like throws me off my game. 
I don't know. Yeah, no, definitely. It's uh but before like before I was doing this full time, I watched a ton of YouTube and I learned the vast majority of the stuff that I learned was through watching other people on YouTube. It is a incredible source yeah. of information. I mean, if you're, I don't think if you're starting from square one or if you're a, a wherever you're at, I, I can't think of a better way to learn than watching YouTube. No question. So I learned hand tools. Yeah, it's it's so I learned it's incredible. All of my woodworking. I mean, I, I I did not know how to do anything a year and a half ago it's it's kind of insane really i mean I, it, it's amazing and we've talked about it before but uh it, it is amazing what you can learn for free so cool uh definitely think that answered that one so we've got another question from brad for james i'm assuming since he's talking about the dresser so he asked <laughs> what what options did he consider for securing the top of the dresser to the carcass and what were the pros and cons of those options, and why did you decide to go with the final option? Well, um, securing a top to a carcass, whether it be on a you know a dresser or a table or anything, is um, a, a, a problematic situation because no matter what you do, you're you're running cross, you're running a, you know, grains in opposite directions, um, and so expansion and contraction become the the key problem. But the the next problem on top of that is 90% of the time when someone picks up the piece of furniture, they're going to pick it up from the top. They're going to you know grab the top and lift it. So you need to have a solid connection between the two that needs to be able to lift up the piece, but yet still be flexible enough for movement. Yeah. Um, the traditional method is to use screws um, to go up through the surface, and the hole that they first go through is elongated so that they can slide a little bit or in slightly larger. Um, but yeah, the traditional method is just to put a screw up through it. Um, the, uh, the other, uh, holistic, you know, uh, way of doing it is with a sliding dovetail. Um, but that becomes difficult to create and line up. And if it's not done just right, it then just becomes a weak spot, but allows the top to break when you lift it up. Yeah. Um, the I mean, then the 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 current common way is to use top clips, where you would run a groove, you know, a quarter inch down on your skirt, and then that clip would then fit into the groove and then get screwed into the top. And those work great, but I don't know. In my mind, they're just always kind of uh, cheap, and that means you have to cut another groove, and they're. I don't know. I, I, just, I just never, they've never appealed to me. Uh, the method I went with is a figure eight clip, um, a very heavy duty figure eight clip, uh, particularly for this dresser and uh, 10 of them in this dresser. <laughs> wow. Because um, the, the dresser will be a little over 200 to, I think, almost 250 pounds. Man. Um, but the, the figure eight clip, the nice thing about it is as long as you put it on, the front to back front to back stretchers and not along the front or back um, pieces in other words the, the pieces running right to left you don't want to put it on that you want to put it on the pieces that go front to back um, and that will allow that figure eight to rotate as the wood expands and contracts and gives it that that movement but is always a solid connection um, and also, they have a very low profile so that they, you have more space for your drawers, so you don't have to worry about that. So those are all the reasons I went through kind of a long answer for a simple question. Cool. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I guess let's talk about what we've been watching. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and shout out Rainfall Projects again. JD over there, I know I've shouted him out before, but uh, I'm going to be hanging out with him this week down in oregon so super excited to go chill on his farm and uh and see what he's got going on there i, I think he actually just got a new cnc so that'll be pretty cool to check out uh, i think he got a cnc router parts cnc so um yeah he just i, I love his videos um I, I should have included him in that list earlier when i was talking about the kind of more story oriented videos because you know they're just so random i mean like putting up siding on his barn and stuff you know like stuff that i don't know i, I mean it's good stuff to know i guess but the story is is much more uh what it's all about so 
Uh, definitely enjoy his channel quite a bit. So, James? Um, the Hand Tool School. Um, I, the, it is a school that is set up to be as much like a school as possible. In other words, he has semesters of work. Um, that you can learn from the other basic, you know, your first grab a hand tool um, all the way through as a semester on carving and then um, different semesters on different projects. But each semester is geared towards um, a different skill group. And so you can learn more and more. Um, and that, that's really cool. But he also offers a one-on-one um, thing. And I've been absolutely binging his videos recently um, and uh, just phenomenal phenomenal information i just love the way shannon has a way of explaining things it's very very straightforward very clean and yeah i like his work <laughs> yeah no, he, he makes awesome content for sure so and he's a hilarious third of the wood talk yes. podcast so and I, I love the uh, the whole uh um comic book uh, feel to his his videos yeah this, yeah, no, they're they're great. It's got a geekiness to them that I enjoy. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. Zach, what about you? Um, well, it's the same week, so I'm going to have the same answer. <laughs> uh, it's this. It's still the uh, that Smithsonian book. Nice. All right. Great pictures. I like them. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, what we got for uh, favorite tools of the week, James? I see you've got something. Yes, the wool sock, mm. uh, 100% wool sock. Uh, they, you know, they sound great, very great tool. nice, um, but honestly, it's one of my favorite um, finishing tools um, for applying. You're just really trying to load up your Amazon there. You got refrigerator magnets and, uh, and wool socks. What's next week? Diapers? Oh, yes. That was just such a... Honestly, yeah. I do have uh, two totes of uh, cloth diapers in my basement. Oh, my Those are word. fantastic for uh, shipping uh, um, uh, your glassware. But uh, no, honestly, awesome. a wool sock. It is one of the best things for um, for applying finishes. I just like the way it it feels and works. Um, That's hilarious. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> well, mine is not so much a tool. I mean, it's a tool for what we do. It's a, a, a camera accessory. It's, so it's a neutral density filter, an ND filter. So. I, for some reason, have never had one of these, uh, even though they're like 20 bucks. But uh, basically what it does is it screws onto the front of your lens and blocks some of the light coming through. So it basically just reduces the amount of light that's getting through the lens, which allows you to run your lens at a much lower aperture. So like I shoot a, a 20 millimeter prime uh, lens, and so I can run it at pretty much the lowest aperture in my shop, which is like 1.7 and get just really nice kind of that really creamy background and a nice nice sharp focus on on what is actually being done in the shot so um i for some reason have never gotten one glad to finally have it and it's also really nice for those kind of outdoor shots of uh of, you know furniture or whatever like i usually like to take uh, the final shots in my on my back patio and you know obviously in, in full sunlight Usually you gotta you know close up your aperture quite a bit uh, to to get you know so the image isn't blown out. But again, the neutral density filter is quite useful for that. So um, if you want to kind of make your if you've got enough light in your shop to where you can use an indie filter and still get that kind of low depth of field, uh, I would highly recommend it. It really really adds a lot to your shots. Is Do that- they make one that? reduces like the amount of flaming hot metal hitting and ruining your yes lens. well i i keep a uv filter on my lens at all times because it's like nine dollars and basically that's exactly that's all it does basically it's just it's just a, a, a basically a carrier for your uh for your lens it, it just keeps does it, it from, stick on or what because my, my lens is like totally shot like i it's like it's pitted from like sparks and then like when i shoot shellac and whatever in there like it gets stuck in the pits in the lens and no like if uh, you look over time like at my videos like they're starting to turn like the perfect like garnet shellac color (laughs) like they're starting to look like everything has a instagram filter on it no they are uv filter yeah they they just screw on you know pretty much every if you have a camera with a detachable lens it has a usually a threaded uh 
end on the lens so you just thread it right on and yeah uv filters if any of you listening have nice lenses and don't want to have to worry about them quite as much a uv filter is amazing because they are literally i'm looking on amazon right now like they're six dollars so um you know if you drop your lens or something and it lands on the actual lens that uv filter is going to break before your actually your actual lens yep. does so huh. um great I've i need a Always, always, always. Because I used to travel a lot with my camera gear for my previous job. And, uh, you know, I'd be doing events and stuff. People would be bumping into the, into the lens with their elbows and things. So um, it, it's, a, it's a great, great little easy addition to add some extra protection. So. I'm going for, like, the Hefe filter on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's good. Plus, I just need to shoot some more black. Yeah, like transient boiled linseed oil and uh, some water-based poly, you know, just do that that three-part finish. I think you nail it right down. It's getting there, it's getting <laughs> close. Um, let's see what's mine for the week. Uh, I'm gonna go with the uh, the auto adjust toggle clamp, the one that I have. It's it's the one that you can see on my tree stump uh-huh. that I use time. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. It uh, whatever you put in there, it automatically like tensions to the right amount, and it holds it in place. Yeah, and it works. For, it's great for stumps. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> actually sent me on Instagram. They sent me a picture of their stump that they modeled after my stump. <laughs> That's awesome. I just thought that was funny. That of all the of all the things that they could like be like. <laughs> that they could this yeah it's i don't know it's funny i can't think of the right words but that's uh, emulate that, that's yeah hilarious. of all the of all the of all the things they could emulate they chose to uh to build my stump with a toggle clamp on it that is <laughs> quite ridiculous yeah those things are super handy especially like if you're making router jigs or something like that they are awesome 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 for that um they, they yeah they're they're super useful so cool well uh Hopefully you guys enjoyed this one. Sorry if we're a little tired. Uh, it's it's getting late here, so. Uh, but I think this was a fun one. So, um, mm-hmm. I think uh, once again, I'd like to thank our patrons. Um, without you guys, this would be uh, not nearly as fun and easy to do. So, thanks again for your support. If you guys want to check us out, it's Patreon.com/slash/CraftedPodcast. And also, once again, give us a five star review on iTunes if you uh, if you have a second and feel like doing that. That would be super helpful. So, or a six star review. Yeah, six star. Or get you know your like brother and mom to also leave a review for us, just to you know help spam our reviews. That would be uh, that'd be good. So, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thanks again for listening, and until next time, happy building. See ya. Later.